Tyler Smiley. I'm John Morrison. And this is the Rooted and Grounded Podcast. Rooted and Grounded is a ministry of Lakewood Baptist Church, and it creates theological content to grow the church in our knowledge of God in order that we would grow in our love for Him and for our neighbor. Check out more at rootedandgrounded.co. Had the card upside down there for a second. I noticed that. But I pulled through. That's uh, Your ability to turn that card the right side up was very impressive. I had the first couple words memorized, so I was good to go for a second. You remember the title of the site. This is good. Uh, I know. I know. I'm but just... the, the way you handled that, performed under pressure, Yeah, it's like you've had to read an announcement card before. I've done it a few times. Yeah. And uh, I'm glad I had the practice. And I'm also glad we're not on video because that kind of stuff could distract people. But then... I bring it up in conversation. Which is not distracting at all. Which distracts even more. I describe it as part of our charm. That's one way to put it. And the topic we're talking about today is Psalm 57. Okay, so John, tell our listeners what we're doing. This is the second week of this thing that we're doing here. The takeover of the normal Rooted and Grounded podcast. Well, this is rooted and grounded vision from the valley. There it is. So at Lakewood, uh, for these six weeks this fall, we are reading six different psalms that correspond to what we've been reading all year, which is uh, Eden to Exile, this journey through the Old Testament. Right now, we're reading in First and Second Samuel about the life of David. And so vision from the valley takes us through six psalms from David's life and helps us understand life uh, from God's perspective. Is so, that Was that clear? Do you know crystal, what we're doing? Crystal clear. Okay, good, because I'm still confused, but good. <laughs> At least somebody knows. The psalm that we're doing this week, then, is Psalm 57. Psalm 57. And uh, in this psalm, written by David, when he fleed from Saul, and he's in the cave. And so that corresponds with our reading that we're, the Eden, Exile, Eden to Exile reading we're right. doing, is week 38, which goes along with this, 1 Samuel 23 through 1 Samuel 27. So you can still uh, go along with, uh, don't, don't forget to follow along with the Eden to Exile reading and keep track on that. But then the psalm is... Well, in, especially because you wrote the devotional for this week in the Eden to Exile book, so... I did, and... Uh, and it's fine. So there you go. Yeah, you, you need to read it. This is not a replacement. That's right. It's not replacement theology. We are overlaying. We're incorporating more into Eden to Exile. Thanks for that. You think I don't that I think that's a theological joke that uh, Hey, I tell jokes for me. All right? And if anybody else wants to laugh at them too, that's their prerogative. But I think I'm hilarious. Well, why don't you tell us something about Psalm 57? Oh, is that what we're doing That'd here? be great. So, yeah. I mean, as you mentioned, in the heading, we see that this is a psalm when of David when he was fleeing from Saul. Mm-hmm. So there, as you may have picked up on in 1 Samuel, there's a lot of time that David is fleeing from Saul. And there are multiple occasions when David is in a cave hiding from Saul. And actually... Saul comes into the cave. That's right. Has the opportunity to kill him, but David chooses not to. That's right. Uh, says that it would be wrong for him to kill the Lord's anointed, mm-hmm. and really is just trusting God, trusting in God's timing, trusting in his providence that 
David already anointed king. God will eventually bring him into that position that he set him aside for. Okay, so let's back up just a little bit. And when did this whole David Saul thing start to become a uh, a, a theme that that uh, we're going to follow here in the Old Testament? Well, so most of us probably remember the story of David and Goliath. So this is that's the first interaction David and Saul have. We remember David's a boy goes and challenges um, challenges Goliath. Noteworthy, Saul not challenging Goliath. Right. You'll remember early in First Samuel, Saul is a head taller than anyone else in Israel. Goliath, much taller as well. Right. Uh, Saul is supposed to be Israel's champion. That's what they wanted. They wanted a king like the nations who would go out and fight for him, fight for them. He refuses to do that. Uh, and so here comes shepherd boy David. David tries on his armor. And it just dwarfs him, mm-hmm. uh, shows him to be the small shepherd boy that he is, though handsome and ruddy. Let's That's not right. forget handsome and ruddy David. And so David goes out, kills Goliath, probably what Saul should have done if he had trusted in the Lord. So that's First Samuel 17. Then we get to First Samuel 18, and the people are cheering David for killing his ten thousands, while Saul has only killed his thousands, mm-hmm. and... Saul grows jealous, and all goes downhill from there. That's right. And from that point on, Saul is coming after David. Right. And David is basically fleeing for his life. Yes. Having the opportunity to retaliate or take Saul's life and not doing it. But you know, okay, let me go back one more step, because this is interesting to me. Okay. Right before the David and Goliath interaction, Mm. after... David is anointed king. Uh, this is First Samuel 16. The spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and a harmful spirit from the Lord tormented him. Mm. And so Saul says to his servants, go find me someone who is skillful in playing the lyre. And when the harmful spirit of God is upon you, he will, uh, so that person can play it. So Saul said to his servants, provide me a man who can play well and bring him to me. And one of the young men answered, behold, I've seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, who is skillful in playing, a man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, and a man of good presence, and the Lord is with, uh, the Lord is with him. And uh, it says in verse 19 that Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, Send me David, your son, who is with the sheep. And Jesse took a donkey and laden with bread and skin of wine and young goat and sent them by David, his son, to Saul. Isn't that fascinating? There they are. The anointed... And the newly anointed, and uh, and and after the David and Goliath thing, it comes to a head. I mean, to your mm-hmm. point, right? I mean, he flings a spear at him at some point. I mean, trying to pin him to the wall. I just want you to know, however jealous I am of you, <laughs> I will not throw spears at you. That's right. Just make that promise here, <laughs> in front it's, of God and the whole podcast audience. It's on the record. There you go. Well, uh, so David in Psalm fifty-seven is in the cave when he had fled from Saul. And uh, and so that that is the familiar territory for the story of Saul and David and their interactions together. So I, I you know, basically all this to say that uh, David was not only what I say probably fearful for his life, mm-hmm. but conflicted also, more, like morally conflicted. How do I mean? He, so he 
is committed to not harming the Lord's anointed king. He's, I mean, it's he's committed to that. Right. He won't do it, uh, and yet he he's continually presented with all these opportunities. Well, has to be tempted to. Right. Right. To, I mean, literally, Saul is just there by himself in the cave, and David could easily kill him. I mean, he cuts a corner out of his robe, but doesn't kill him. So you know that has to be a temptation for him to basically take his life into his own hands and say, well, this is what God has promised me, so I'm going to take it now. But he waits for God's timing. So in the psalm, he's, he's uh, all this waiting for God's timing, hiding away. Be merciful to me, O God. Be merciful to me, for in you my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings I will take refuge till the storms of destruction pass by. Gives a new flavor to what uh, might have been going on with David's mind mm. when you bring up the historical context. Mm-hmm. That he's uh, he's you know fearful of his own life. He's maybe conflicted morally to to make the right decision. You know what is the right thing to do to honor God, uh, protect him, his God's people, and so in the midst of this, he cries out to God and has hope and trust. In as as it will say in verse two, the God Most High, to God who fulfills His purpose for me. Okay, uh, so we've seen how this is David now trusting the Lord to fulfill the Lord's uh, good purpose. What are some ways in our own lives this is going to start playing itself out? That as we consider the life of uh, David, and then the life of Christ, trusting in God, depending on Him, who will fulfill His good purpose. So, do we uh, do we sit idly by? Do we act? How do we start to navigate difficult times in our lives like David may have been facing? Well, I think it's fascinating that one of the ways David responds and reacts is by worshiping God. See, so look at verse five, and he repeats it again in verse eleven. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. So in the middle of his life being, I mean, really, his life hanging in the balance, one of the key things he's wanting to do here is to honor and praise God. So I think I would say that's one of the key lessons for us is that no matter life's circumstances, we're called to worship and praise God because He's worthy of our worship because of who he is, because of his character, not just because of our circumstances, which is sort of maybe the difference between praising God and thanking him. Well, we thank him because of all his good gifts, but he's worthy of praise even when those gifts don't seem to be flowing or flowing in as much abundance as we want. What's the significance of David praising God that his glory would be over all the earth? So broad, widespread praising of God. Well, the Old Testament, we think of the Old Testament as as about the story of Israel, about this one group of people in this strip of land in Palestine, or whatever we're supposed to call it. I don't don't remember the right nomenclature. You know, politically correct stuff, Ty. I'm not very good at this. Uh, In this one place in the Middle East, that's not very big land, and that this is the story of God dealing with those people. But the Old Testament is constantly pushing us to broaden the horizon and see that God is not just the God 
of Israel, but he is the God over all the earth, that he is the Lord over all. And really the trajectory of Scripture is that God's glory, as Habakkuk, as Habakkuk says, the glory of the Lord would cover the earth as the water covers the sea, that his particular tabernacling presence, his glory as manifested in the Holy of Holies, would actually be spread out over all the earth so that all the earth is becoming this temple that's holy unto the Lord. And we know through the New Testament that's going to happen through Jesus, that as God's people are united to him by faith, are united to Christ by faith, that they, like Christ, become God's temple where he dwells by his spirit. And as they go out through the earth, the glory of the earth covers the glory of the Lord covers the earth as the waters cover the sea. And that's ultimately fulfilled in the new heavens and the new earth when there's no need for a temple. Because Christ himself is the temple. So Jose in verse nine, kind of getting at the same idea there, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing your uh, I will sing praises to you among the nations. That this is not uh this is not simply God being uh, God to just this one uh, singular people group, but uh, who is God among all, overall, and that all would come to the knowledge and faith in him, that all would praise God for who he is. And so you're saying, okay, well, how do I respond today in my life? You say, okay, well, worship God and proclaim the glories of his grace. So probably what we think of as highly impractical advice, mm-hmm. but how does David deal with his life hanging in the balance, with literally hiding in a cave, fearing for his life, by praising God and desiring to proclaim his glories for us to proclaim the gospel to the nations? That's right. So, okay, well, how do you respond in life circumstances? You pray to God, but you, you praise him, mm-hmm. and you, you proclaim the gospel. That's a little counterintuitive for us. Pretty simple, pretty straightforward, and I love the language that it gives. Uh, a lot of times when we think about evangelism or making a defense for the Christian faith, that it's almost, um, it can sometimes carry like a negative connotation, but in this, for David, I will sing your praises. I will sing praises to you among mm. the nations. So he's taking a posture of, really just thanking and praising God for who he really and truly is among all peoples so that all would know and see this is who God really is. There's not a, uh, you know, this, well, let me make this calculated argument that my God is better than yours, but simply just praising God for who he is and for what he's done. Right. And I think if you say, well, that sounds impossible. I couldn't do that. And I think, well, that's, that's true for David too. We, we read in First Samuel 16 how God's Spirit is upon him. But you even see that God's work in his life here in this psalm. So verse 7, David says, My heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. But his heart's only steadfast in God because first God was steadfast. So you see in verse 3 that God will send out his steadfast love and his faithfulness. Mm. So David's steadfastness, David's faithfulness, David's proclaiming who God is really rooted in how he's experienced the Lord already. He's only steadfast because God is, is steadfast. He's faithful to the Lord because the Lord has been faithful to him. Mm. And so it's all, I think we see just the divine initiative that God takes the first step in David's life, 
And David's faithfulness is a response to that. Yeah. One of the things you drew out that I thought was really, uh, really helpful, particularly in verse six, where uh, David has this sort of turn of uh, circumstance. He says in verse six that they set a net for my steps. My soul was bowed down. They dug a pit in my way, but they have fallen into it themselves. So, in other words, David, which I think is David showing this utter dependence on the trustworthiness of God, that God is faithful, and even the actions of his enemies against him, I mean, in this case, they seem to have actually reversed sort of reverse course mm-hmm. and worked against his enemies themselves. But that David recognizes uh, he can have such incredible trust in God. So in other words, he can not take Saul's life. He can refuse to harm the Lord's anointed king, Saul, because he trusts that no matter what happens, God will uh, bring about the true and right judgment. Mm. He will make things right. right. He even the actions of his enemies against him ultimately will come back against themselves. So, I think the the uh, the final and most true way that we see this played out is with Christ himself, which I just thought you really brought out in verse 6 of this psalm. Well, thank you for telling me how <laughs> wonderful that was. Uh, I am very proud of this sentence. Uh, Tyler knows how to play to his audience, I think. <laughs> so this is talking, right, one of the ways we want to read the Psalms that we've talked about this year is that the Psalms are actually true about Jesus. Jesus is the son of David, the true son of David. So there's actually a sense in which the words that King David wrote are even truer about Jesus than they are about David himself, mm-hmm. which is just remarkable. And it's because the Spirit is superintending all these things. And as much as they're true about David, they're prophecy about Scripture. There's prophecy about Christ as well. So talk about how at the cross, Jesus' enemies dug a pit in his way, but they have fallen into it themselves. Hmm. So the amazing thing about the cross here is that death was put to death through the death of Christ. And that Satan's apparent victory turned into his greatest defeat as Christ rose from the dead, breaking the chains of sin and death. Mm. So this thing that David sees true happening in his life, this reversal, how Saul's obsession with finding David and hurting David is actually destroying Saul, Mm. which is, I mean, really what you see play out is that Saul is killing himself trying to find David, like literally killing himself. It's actually what happens on this grand scale with Christ that Christ puts death and sin to death by being put to death himself. And this great trap that Satan had for Christ actually becomes the trap he falls into. So for David, he says, Awake, O harp and lyre, I will will make melody. I will sing and make melody. I will awake the dawn. I will awake the dawn. I feel like if I sing early in the morning, I too will awake the dawn, but for very different reasons. Well, I feel like I might awake the wrath of people in my house if I were to uh, if I were to sing that loudly in the morning. I believe my neighbors would complain. I believe my children would complain, but that's nice to you. Well, uh, so I'm not going to make melody here in this podcast because 
I'd like to retain the listeners that we have. But I do want to bring up this fantastic addition that we have to each of the Psalms in the Vision from the Valley workbook. That at the end of each week, after each song, is is a song or a hymn of some sort that connects thematically to the song. And this one is a particularly special one, which is, it goes along with Psalm 57, it's Rock of Ages, Cleft for Me, and why is this one such a special one in our booklet here? I think we should, you'll do the soprano part, okay. I'll do the alto, we'll be fine. Uh, well, this song is the reason we have songs That's right. in the rest of the book. So I was reading and preparing for this, came across a commentary and was connecting Psalm 57 with the song Rock of Ages, Cleft for Me. And I was like, oh, oh, that's good. I do love Rock of Ages, Cleft for Me. Augustus Top Lady. In addition to having a fantastic name, uh, just pin some great words here. Yeah. And But it also reminded me that the Psalms were, were the songbook of God's people through the Old Testament and even through the history of the church. The, song, the Psalms have been sung by God's people and are their poetry, their emotive, and they just connect with us in a way that reading a paragraph doesn't. And so I, That's right. we just decided that it would be helpful to have songs in here mm-hmm. that do the very thing that the Psalms do, is connect with us at a deeper emotional level that engage us fully or a little more fully than just sort of reading reading a passage and remind us that the Psalms are meant to be sung and are meant to affect our affections and not just our mind. So Psalm 57 is uh, has a tune to it, to the choir master, according to Do Not Destroy, a, a, a miktam of David when he fleed from Saul. So, but, and so you can read this the lyrics of Rock of Ages, Cleft for Me, and I mean be stirred in a lot of the same ways. It, they're just fantastic. Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to the cross I cling. Naked come thee to thee for dress, helpless look to thee for grace. I mean, so the... These are stirring, rich words. But then when you look it up, hear the melody, and can hear it sung, then you recognize how um, lyrics like this, even the words themselves can sort of move us deeply, but then when you put melody to it, there's another component of it that draws something out of our human nature. And I think this song just highlights that for David, as much as he's taking refuge in this cave, right, he's hiding out in this rock. It's really, he's finding his refuge in God, the rock of ages. Right? This clear picture of who God is, is that he is the rock and redeemer. He's our refuge, very present help in time of trouble. And that's really where David is hiding. I mean, physically he's in a cave, but he's looking to God for his deliverance. Mm-hmm. He's not looking to himself. Right. He's not going to kill Saul, but he's trusting in God. Well, uh, that's Psalm 57. That will get our folks in a, in a good direction for discussing it in their small groups, reading over it, thinking about it. And uh, if you have questions as you go through the Vision from the Valley book, feel free to reach out to John or Scott Smith. Or Tyler Smiling. There you go. I'd be happy to assist however I can. And uh, hopefully Psalms like this will continue to spark good discussion among our groups. All right, anything else we need to know about Psalm 57? Surely I'm there sure is. there's a lot more we need to know about Psalm 57. But I think that's a good starting point. It's a good starting point for now. All right. Thanks so much for your time, John. Thanks, Tyler.